Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. It's good to be back. Mm. Did you miss me? We did. You I'm. Did? A, I quite enjoy being back to co-hosting. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, someone had to fill in for a while. No, no, no. <laughs> it was. It, it was, was. It was good radio. I was listening in. Were months. you? Yeah, we wondered. Months. We're like, do you reckon Lyle listens? <laughs> and do you reckon if he listens, he listens to suss us out or could actually enjoy it? <laughs> no, I listen to actually enjoy it. Well, see, one one of the days that I was off, I was actually working, but working yeah. elsewhere. So I listened yeah. that day. And but on my was, days off, I didn't listen to anything. How was your time off? Amazing, Good. just 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 absolutely amazing. In to, to the point where uh, it was a little bit rough this morning when the alarm clock went off. Yeah, yeah, it was just a tad rough. But yeah. for those of you who don't know, we were celebrating our twenty sixth wedding anniversary. Woo! That's nearly as long as I've been alive. Go you. Yes, just about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which has been absolutely amazing. So absolutely, just switching off for a few days. Good stuff. Good stuff. Absolutely. What are you thankful for this morning? Oh, look, apart from the fact that I left my windows down and so all the mozzies got it. I didn't even know we had mozzies where I lived. And then the whole way through I was like, oh, I'm going to kill these things. (laughs) But I made it here alive. Apart from that, I um, I just had a really good weekend with my brother. He came up to see me from Vic Uh and we went for a cheeky – can't quite call it a surf. It was more of a paddle uh, yesterday. I haven't been surfing for about four years since I broke my ankle, and even then that wasn't very good. But it was just nice to get out because we don't often get to do things like that very much together. So it was just nice. Sunshine, hanging out, ate some watermelon, went and saw some friends later. Yeah, it was good. Well, see, that's one of the other things that I'm thankful for this morning as well because your brother came to visit me after he came to visit you. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So what's happening in the world of positively different news this morning? You know what? I actually thought this was a really cool story. So New York artist Guy Stanley oh, Philoche? Philoche? How would I spell it? Uh, how would I sound this out? P-H-I-L-O-C-H-E. I'm going to call him Philoche. Um, is a New York painter. He's known for his colourful, textured, abstract pieces. And these ones sell up to $120,000. So he's an artist, like that's yeah, that's that's like, serious artist right yeah, there. <laughs> this is another there's another kind of art that you and I might produce. And uh, nay, no, or buy. <laughs> I, I've never seen that amount of money in my life. But this year, he has dedicated himself to seeking out artists from around the world who are unable to make ends meet. And so far, he has purchased over 150 pieces um, that are worth up to about 500 dollars. Um, so he has in total spent over $65,000 buying work from struggling artists, which again, I'm, those numbers kind of baffle me a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Not seen that kind of money before. Uh, yeah, he's commented that the art world is my community and I needed to help my community. He goes on to say that people say that New York is dead, but there's an artist somewhere that he's writing the next greatest album. There's a kid right now in his studio painting the next Mona Lisa. There's probably a dancer right now choreographing the next epic ballet. Uh, so he seems to be quite patriotic to New York, New York, sorry, even though he, I think he migrated from Hawaii when he was quite young. Okay. But he's lived his life there. So, yes, when the pandemic began this year, 
it affected obviously a lot of families. Many found themselves unable to even pay rent, afford Wi-Fi for the kids, distance learning, buy food. We've had a whole bunch of corona kindness stories this year, kind of hearing about people helping out um, in these areas. And so as the ability to afford basic needs finished, art became a luxury. Thousands of artists and independent creators were left without an income. One of these artists was his good friend who had just had a baby and lost his job. He just said to him, you know, don't worry, we're New Yorkers. We've been through 9-11, the blackout, the market crash. We've got this. Confidence is key. I like it. Yes. Um, but the struggling friend, who, as I said, also an artist, was scared and so he bought a painting just to help him get through it. And it was such a big deal for his friend um, that that's when this idea came that, you know, if one artist is struggling, probably a lot of others are. He posted on Instagram asking artists who were feeling the effects of the pandemic to message him. And he bought and shipped pieces he fell in love with. Some reached out to say that the piece he bought was the first they'd ever sold. And it means a lot to him that he can help because for him, he believes art has saved his life. Um, he says that it's a debt that he can never repay. And the only way to really repay it is buying art from someone who hasn't, a got, who hasn't gotten a big break yet. So he's developed his seller painting, buyer painting philosophy. So he sells one, he celebrates, he buys another to show some support and he plans to continue searching for inspiration, making creations and supporting struggling artists. I just Yeah, because, I mean, art is the first thing that gets defunded as uh -huh. soon as the government gets into financial trouble. It's the first yeah. thing, you know, and, and it's the first thing that people stop buying. Yeah. And look, even just on an education level, like at school it was the first thing that was kind of dropped if, you know, you had to pick another useful subject. Um I thought they were all useful, as in those were the ones that I was more interested in. But it's interesting, though, because we do see when we start to lose those things, there's a beauty just in life that we can – I don't mean specifically paintings, but I mean art in its kind of Art whole... in general, because God is the original artist and God is incredibly creative. That's and right. when we express artistic ability in whatever form of art that is, we are expressing the fact that we were created in the image of God. Mm. And God is extremely extravagant in his creativity and in his artistry. Absolutely. And so it's it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad when it's like, well, you know, it's just about putting food in the mouth right now and nothing mm. else kind of matters. And yeah. art sort of goes out the window, but that's how it goes in times of crisis. Yeah. And you look through history, it seems there's often this kind of struggling artist stereotype, isn't there, that there's often some struggle associated with, I really believe in this, I love the beauty of it, I love the process of it. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting, I think. And there are very few that make it big. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah. a massive a massive gap in art between the successful and the unsuccessful. Yeah. And you know what, though? I think even if you weren't making money, I mean, obviously, if you could, it's nice that you can have a job of something you love as well. But even you're, if you're just at home doing whatever, I think it can be quite therapeutic. You know, whether you're, I don't know, a painter, a sculptor, or a... I don't know. Pick anything. It's just a kind of a cathartic process. Um, I'm not a great artist, but I know that even if I'm I not just an artist at all. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so there's another story today I want to share. So Tahana Tippett um, is from Auckland, New Zealand, and he is a big buddy member who has filled a gap in young boys' lives. So he's now 25, but four years ago he was 21. He was hosting a Te Reo Māori class at his local marae in Auckland. And as he left, he saw a group of boys drinking and smoking just at a neighbourhood park. He assumed that they were about 12 to 14 years old and he was concerned because it was a school night. Um, he's Māori and he could see the boys were too. And so going maybe we have a point of connection, he feels it's his job to do good by the people of his land, um, whoever they may be. So he approached them and spoke to them. 
One expressed just in the conversation that a lack of a father figure, and it struck a chord with Tippett, who has experienced the opposite. So he grew up in quite a supportive family, both parents, uh, but in extended family um, members, he has seen that. And he, yeah, just in the conversation, the boy continued that he hasn't really known what is good and what is bad. There are certain things he just hasn't had the education about growing up. And uh, yeah, so Tippett, he kind of went away and just had to think about this. It really had an imp- impact on him. And so good old Google came to the rescue. He did some searching and came across the program Big Buddy. It's an organization, I think it started in like 1997 or something. It's been around for a while, maybe 1977. I don't know. Got my numbers wrong. Not great with those. But yeah, it's basically looking at let's get good guys from the community with boys ages 7 to 14 to be role models. Um you know, they, these guys have often absent dads and it's just providing a male role model. Um, big buddies are only expected to spend time, not money. Tippett is a business manager on Auckland's North Shore. So usually he just has time on the weekends and he spends about three year, uh, sorry, three hours with his um, little buddy. And some of the activities, you know, they, they swim, they go bike riding, they go to the beach, um, they build Lego, you know, just a whole bunch of whatever. But he's also taken him to family events together. And so the buddy has become friends with his nieces and nephews as well. Very nice. Right? Um, and Tibbets has kind of made the comment that um, in three years he's noticed a remarkable difference in his little buddy just from manners and family and behavior and a whole range of things. And he just said that, yeah, identity is really important and giving him a network bigger than himself. So, yeah, well done him. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM positively different. We need to talk a little bit more about the legislation down in Victoria. There's been quite a bit of discussion uh, around this subject over the weekend uh, and while I was away. So I was sort of, you know, when you're away from radio a little bit, you see all these issues come up and it's like, I need to be talking about this. Why am I not talking about this? (laughs) Uh, I'm so opposite. (laughs) I'm like, I don't need to tell anyone. (laughs) Uh, I needed to take a little bit longer off, a little bit more time off, I think, but that's okay. So this is the uh, anti-conversion bill, or basically anti-Christian bill, that, uh, or anti-religion bill mm. that is being passed down in Victoria. And the whole thing is built on lies. Mm. The, the foundation of the bill is lies, and the foundation of that is that there are coercive or torturous practices Happy. that are actually taking place in Australia. There is... Other states have all acknowledged that these practices do not exist. Yeah, in Australia. So the, mm-hmm. what they're trying to ban the, is, is, is practices that simply don't happen. Mm. And in a society like ours, they're never going to happen. And so why do we need to have this legislation? Well, the reason we need to have this legislation is so that Daniel Andrews can attack Christianity and attack religion in general because he just, that's, he just hates religion. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, basically this is so that portions of the scripture and various types of prayer can be banned and so that you know Daniel Andrews can control what you read in the Bible, what you're allowed to read in the Bible and can control what you pray about. Crazy, hey. That's the legislation. That's mm. this is like you know you talk about uh, communist dictators and something like this they've got nothing on this guy. Mm. <laughs> you know, seriously, have yeah, you well. ever have you ever seen a dictator anywhere in the world that has gone this far in their level of control? I haven't. Well, I think to the ones who I would think of, they kind of are quite explicit in their hatred. Yes, that's the difference. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he's not acting like the crazy 
controlling, like, I hate you. Well, I mean, that, no, yeah, he, doesn't, he just, just doesn't come out and state it like a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. big dictators yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you do. He just, like, sneaks it into legislation it. it's and puts it, in, puts it in legal language. Mm. Um, and so basically this is, is an attack on, personal, on, on people's personal liberties and freedoms. It kind of bans persons. Personal liberties and freedoms because, well, you have the freedom to choose to have counselling to uh, transition your gender or to have a different sexual orientation, but you can only choose to go one way. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there's no freedom whatsoever at all. It's completely stripped away the freedom to go back a different direction, to go back to, you know, a heterosexual orientation or go back to your biological gender. That's been banned. And that's what we've spoken about before, right? It's not just freedom for a person who wants to step in and help. It's for the person who may be wanting to seek help. Exactly. It's lack of freedom. They are not allowed to they are not allowed to receive help. Yeah. It's crazy. This 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 kind of stuff is nuts. Um so yeah, basically bans any kind of choice, bans parents from being parents. Hmm. Because you know, a parent's role is to affirm a child's gender and to affirm them in the body that they have and the body that they've been born with and to affirm them with body acceptance. You know, we've, for decades we have been talking about body acceptance. You know, accept the body that you have, love the body that you have, and now that's illegal. Oh, I've never looked at that like that. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Yep, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yep. Um. It, it bans, obviously, you know, prayer for people that want to change. Okay, so what is the real target? The real target is not abusive, coercive practices because they don't exist. Mm. There can only be one real target, and that is people of faith, people of religion, because it specifically mentions prayer. Yeah. You know, other, other uh, anti-conversion um Legislations that have been either proposed or have been passed in Australia have been very, very careful not to mention religion. And this is just a secular law, and and some of them, you know, religion is very much gets caught up in the process. Mm. Whereas Daniel Andrews has come out and said, "No, we're not going to tiptoe around the tulips here. We're not going to pretend like this is anything other than an attack on religion." So we're specifically going to mention religion. We're specifically going to mention prayer, and we're specifically going to ban those kinds of practices. Mm. He's not holding back. I mean, as, as I say, you know. Find me a communist dictator that comes up to this level. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is that goes through my mind is what are they afraid of? Are they afraid that when you and I talk to our, in their minds, imaginary God, mm. will happen. that that imaginary God might do something? Are mm. they really? Are they so afraid of people's imaginary God that they have to have legislation to ban people from talking to him? See, I'm I'm a rabbit hole kind of girl, so. I think about this and I'm like, now what was his upbringing? How did he get to this point? Like, yeah, exactly. It's like, what on earth is going yeah. on here? Like to have such strong, yeah, yeah, feelings that, as you said, that if he doesn't actually even believe in this thing, whatever he believes that the idea of God is, yeah, that yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to me. It's very interesting. No, it's um, somebody's just texting through to say these challenge God has gone insane, <laughs> and we, we've we've seen that in the Bible a, a have, bunch of times, haven't we? Have. we? Um, so a couple of uh, so this is I, I did talk so I talk about the uh, human rights law alliance. Yes, yes. So they've done a whole memorandum on this legislation, and it's really interesting reading. Um, 
because they've, you know, they've gone through it from a legal perspective and, you know, we don't have time to go through everything that there is here. But I just, you know, Clause 5.2 of the Conversion Bill extends one-sided ideological protection, practices that affirm an individual sexual interest, interest impulses and behaviours and or encourage the expression and development of a gender identity incongruent with biological sex are protected. There is no equivalent protection for body-affirming counsel. The encouragement of celibacy is equally prohibited. Loving, non-coercive spiritual and well-being guidance and advice to those who struggle with unwanted desires will also be criminally punished. In fact, this is expressly included as a practice in the bill and is mischaracterized as inherently deceptive and harmful. Wow. Do these guys... Are they someone that people like politicians would sort of listen to? Like, do they have enough traction in different areas, or is it just kind of something that they put out? This is the yeah, the uh, Human Rights Law Alliance definitely something that politicians listen to. Mm-hmm. But is somebody who is this steeped in their ideology yeah. and this unscientific in their approach? Mm. Are they going to listen to reason? Do you, look, I really know very little about politics. I, just, I am sure you, Lola, and all of our listeners know, but how many people have to make a decision? You're bringing a bill like this in. Like, obviously, Dan Andrews is a big push behind it, but how many people would you actually need? A majority of the yeah. Victorian Parliament. Okay, yeah. By one. Yeah, so although he's a driving force, in theory you could have a bunch of people who are willing to listen. You could have some, you could have some Labor Party uh, members who cross the floor on this mm-hmm. and will probably get kicked out of the Labor Party if they do. Oh. Yeah, so it's a pretty big thing to cross okay, the floor. Okay, right, yeah. Yeah. So it's a pretty big thing when somebody, oh. you know, it, it, it makes the news when somebody crosses the floor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Here's another one. Uh, clause 8 of the conversion bill allows Victorian police, what's this, and the commission to pursue anyone in Australia hey. for practices if there is real or substantial link between the conduct and Victoria. This doesn't make any so sense. So they to can me. pursue us here yeah, in yeah, yeah. New South if Wales. If someone chooses to come because up. of what we say on Faith FM, because Faith FM broadcasts in Victoria, and we can be extradited to Victoria to face charges and criminal prostitute prosecution. This is so weird to me. This is, <laughs> this is like, oh, this is, what this a is stitch like, up. This is absolute, and, and, and of course, um, up to ten years in prison, half a million dollars fine uh, for teaching Orthodox Christian, Islamic, Jewish. Hindu, etc. teachings. Hey, yeah, true, and it is. It's really all faiths. It's not just one. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's not just going after Christianity. It's going after religion. So mm. whatever your religion is, they're coming after you with this one. Full, you know, full blast. All guns blazing. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Well, joining us on the phone this morning for our monthly update on creation and science is Dr. John Ashton. Uh, Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, Lyle. Yeah, good to be here. Now, there's a paper that you were mentioning to me uh, recently that was put out by the uh, Journal of Theoretical Biology on basically the fine-tuning of biological systems, and uh, I understand that there are some fascinating findings in this uh, paper that's just been released. Yes, that's right. This is... um it's quite surprising that um, this paper got published, actually. Um, uh, for those that are interested, it's called um, Using Statistical Methods to Model the Fine-Tuning of Molecular Machines and Systems. 
and it was published in the Journal of Theoretical Biology in uh, September this year. It's um, uh, quite uh, quite interesting. I'll, I'll just read the uh, the abstract. Um, and the abstract says, fine-tuning has received much attention in physics, and it states that the fundamental constants of physics are finely tuned to precise values for a rich chemistry and life permittance. It has not yet been applied in a broad manner to molecular biology. However, in this paper, we argue that biological systems present fine-tuning at different levels. For example, functional proteins, complex biochemical machines in living cells, and cellular networks. This paper describes molecular fine-tuning, how it can be used in biology, and how it challenges conventional Darwinian thinking. We also discuss the statistical methods underpinning fine-tuning and present a framework for such analysis. And so... As That's... we know in the, and uh, quite a number of physicists have pointed this out as well, that the uh, constants in the universe are extremely fine-tuned to, uh, it would seem, allow the universe to exist. So, for example, when... Um, According to their theoretical models, now of course we know that uh, God created the the universe. But if we look at the theoretical models that they have for the Big Bang, there are virtually an infinite number of scenarios that could occur, and some of these scenarios would allow um, energy and matter to just expand continuously, just swoop, you know, and just go on forever and just, you know, dissipate the universe to just, you know, sort of essentially be so huge and large and finally uh, distributed that nothing would come together. Or the other is that, uh, the other extreme is that it would uh, sort of uh, somehow, you know, expand and then contract on itself and then just, you know, disappear again and go through some other cycle. So, of course, as I said, these are just theoretical concepts that uh, that uh, scientists have looked at, and there's an infinite number of combinations. And what they say is when we look out in the universe, it's it's perfect. Everything is just, just balanced, just right for life and so the probability of that happening is actually one in infinity really Mm. if you look at it from a mathematical point of view so what these people are saying again is when we look at the molecular machines and i think most of us have have recognized this when we look out in in nature for example we have these amazing ecosystems where everything is it's just sort of balanced until man comes along and disturbs it, that is. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, for example, in uh, the reproduction systems of plants and many, uh, you know, and, and animals, everything is just 
finely tuned so it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works just exactly. And if something was a little bit different, it wouldn't work. You know, I was thinking the other day, I've got a plague of white butterflies here, cabbage moths at the moment, attacking all my plants. And you see this little moth come down and it swings under a little plant and it lays its egg. And when you think about it, what's got to happen is that little egg has to have a little surface coating on it that has just the right adhesive properties so that it will stick to that um, uh, leaf without falling off, without holding it there, you know, and and yet allow then the little grub to, to hatch out. Everything is just finely tuned. You know, if, it, if those polymers on the outside of that little egg weren't just quite right, the little egg would fall off and then be carried away by the ants. You know, so so many things like that that we take for granted that are just so, you know, it's just obvious we think, well, it works. But it works because it's actually fine-tuned. Um, and if, you if, know, if, it had, if it didn't have enough glue on it, you would assume that, you know, it would just keep falling off, keep falling off, and would be eaten by ants, eaten by ants, eaten by ants, and then no reproduction would ever take place and it would just disappear. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's just a, just a, a simple, you know, little thing like that, and we forget that all these little molecules that are involved in all these little things, like the little pheromones that attract the, uh, the different moths together so they come together and mate, the different fragrances that are given off by plants that just attract the right, you know, bees or insects to come to them or, or you know, uh, to sort of find the, um, you know, pheromones of the mates, but the little uh, compounds that are put off from plants that are that attract just the right uh, insects at just the right times and so forth. But then within, um, you know, structures, the, in this paper it talks about uh, molecular machines and, of course, we know that the classic machine, of course, is the ribosome, which actually reads the uh, DNA code um, and then assembles the right proteins together to make, you know, the new uh, cell and so forth. Um, there, there are just some that are just right. Um, well, another one that I uh, that I think of too is the fact. Those, uh, what we call photosystems too. So this is a molecule that we have in, in green plants. And this uh, molecule, actually, we know that we take the light, the sunlight that falls on the plants, um, is, uh, is captured by the chlorophyll. Well, the chlorophyll takes that energy, the energy from those photons. And there's a little system in plants that actually traps water and uses the energy from sunlight to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. The oxygen is released into the air for, you know, animals and us to breathe. And the hydrogen is then combined with carbon dioxide that the plants have taken in to form sugars which uh, and carbohydrates which form the structures of the plants and form the the food for us. Now, this is just the, when we look at the structure of the water molecule, it's so finely balanced that the normal ultraviolet light hitting the surface of the earth doesn't split the water into hydrogen and oxygen. Otherwise, it would all be split and, uh, you know, the hydrogen would escape and, um, and, and so forth. But, um, 
it's it's amazing how this system again takes two water molecules, puts them together, and actually uses this energy to split them into oxygen and hydrogen. And of course, we're still studying how photosystem to work. Nobody, we're not exactly sure how the two water molecules are bonded and combined in the system, but uh, this is an amazing system using sunlight to split water into hydrogen and oxygen, then use the hydrogen as a fuel. And of course, you know, at universities around the world now, they're doing lots of experiments in terms of looking at, you know, hydrogen to, to be the future fuel. So these are the sort of things that we find in nature that are just so finely tuned. It's it's amazing, these biological systems there that are so finely tuned. And as the authors point out, this really challenges Darwin's theory that, um, you know, all this occurred by just chance mutations and uh, and natural uh, selection. So it's really great to see, um, you know, a paper like this being, you know, published yeah, now, John, just on that, I just wanted to ask um, how often is it that you might see, you know, a paper like this that comes out in a major, uh, you know, secular journal that actually states that it challenges Darwinian evolution? Yes, well, it's uh, this is the first one that I've uh, certainly seen for a while. I have a, um, a colleague that I correspond with, um, that um, uh, published a paper, he's a mathematician, he published a paper arguing that, um, you know, information that we see in nature cannot arise by, you know, random processes. And that took him a long, long time to get that paper published. There was a lot of resistance to it, even though, for example, he has two doctorates, a, a PhD and a Doctor of Science, BSc degree um, and um, so yes yeah, it's, it's quite tricky to get out it's interesting of course that the paper was challenged um, in December um, in the uh, in the same journal with uh, other scientists coming back and saying large sample spaces do not imply bio- biological systems of fine tune so very quickly scientists are out there trying to uh, defend um, their position, and uh, they've got a lot at stake, really, at the at the present time, because there's, you know, such a growing amount of evidence that Darwinian evolution is absolutely impossible, and so, you know, the scientists are really on their back foot. And I think I may have mentioned on the program before, you know, that over a thousand scientists have now signed the uh, descent from Darwin dot uh, org statement that they are sceptical that Darwin's theory of evolution can explain the origin of, uh, of, of life on Earth and should be reconsidered. And all the scientists that have signed that are scientists. Uh, to order, in order to sign that petition, you have to have qualifications in the area of uh, biology, molecular biology or paleontology, something related to the uh, theory of evolution. And, uh, you know, so many tops, when you look down the list, a lot of these scientists are, you know, eminent professors at top universities now mm. that have signed the statement. But, of course, this isn't getting out into the education system, <laughs> unfortunately, but the young people need to be reassured that 
the overwhelming evidence is that life on Earth is supernatural and therefore it, it, it can't be explained by regular scientific processes. It can't be explained by the laws of physics, chemistry and mathematics that underpin science. And so life is supernatural and therefore there must have been a supernatural origin. And of course the Bible reveals that supernatural origin as being God the Creator who came to earth as Jesus Christ our Saviour. And we have just so much evidence now that this makes so much sense. In the paper that you're referencing here in the uh, Journal of Theoretical Biology that challenges evolution, they 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 obviously you know put forward information that does challenge the theory of evolution. Do they propose uh, an alternative uh, solution? Oh no, 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 no. What they what uh, essentially what the paper provides is uh, it's a pioneering paper and it provides statistical methods to demonstrate this and to explore, I guess, more examples of fine-tuning. And it, it sets out the methodology of how you can establish that something must have been fine-tuned. So it's looking at the, the mathematics of this and how this can be uh, represented in uh, complex graphical structures and, and so forth. So... Um, this is the, uh, it, it's more as a, uh, a mathematical paper. And I think this is one of the important aspects yes. that biologists have resisted for some time, that from a mathematical point of view, you know, statistics and probability, evolution is absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.